What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. It's Chrisomania, brother. That's a great question. Look at you, man, with the powerful questions. <laughs> Woo! This is the Chris Van Vliet Show. Chris Van Vliet Show. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Van Vliet! How are you, my friends? Welcome to the show. Thank you, as always, for listening, and thank you for making this a top 10 wrestling podcast in the world. It was such a pleasure to sit down with Lillian Garcia for this. Not only is she amazingly talented, but she's just an incredible human being with this great presence about her. I loved this conversation. I know that you will too. We had moments in there where we got goosebumps, like actual goosebumps. She even like remarked, she was like, oh my God, those arms, look at your goosebumps on your arm. I had them all over my arm. And a moment where, where she started to tear up it's such good stuff. Uh, thank you for continuing to share the show on social media. Uh, in fact, if you're listening right now, uh, take a screenshot. Tag me. Tag Lillian. Let us know that you're listening. Let us know what you think of the show. And thank you for subscribing so you know exactly when these new interviews drop. And we've got a bunch of them dropping in the next, well, in the next couple of days and over the next couple of weeks. You know we're dropping at least one interview a week. So subscribe so you don't miss those. Also, thank you for the five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. They are so helpful. They are the most helpful thing you could do. Well, subscribing is also very good, but the reviews, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please take like four seconds to click the five-star thing. This one comes from, what a, what a username this is, TC underscore C0R underscore 204. Wow. Love from Canada. This is the best wrestling podcast I've listened to in a while. Even better than Jericho's. Tell him that, Chris. I don't care. Le Champion shall be dethroned soon enough. Well, thank you so much. Please keep those reviews coming. That's very kind. Also, Canada. Great country. My country. My home country. So thank you for the reviews from the U.S., from Canada, from the U.K. We've got reviews from New Zealand and Australia, India. Worldwide. There's wrestling fans. This, was, this is what's so amazing about wrestling. It, it unites us all. Uh, so please keep those reviews coming. We're up to 610 right now. And the specific goal for the year is 1,000 reviews. Because as you know, vague goals get vague results. So if you happen to be listening to the podcast on your iPhone, just take a few seconds to scroll down on the show page. Click on those five stars. Lillian Garcia knows a thing or two about podcasts. She has a very popular podcast called Chasing Glory. I'm sure you're familiar with it. She has a lot of wrestlers and former wrestlers on the show. In fact, we've had a lot of the same guests, but she dives deep into these conversations. And she knows a lot of these people personally. I mean, she's known a lot of these people for 10 or 15 or maybe more years. So she gets a, like a different perspective in these conversations. I love them. I've been hooked on her podcast for a while. Uh, in this chat, we talk about her transition to life after WWE and her her incredible story of how she became a ring announcer for WWF. 
at the time in 1999. They basically threw her to the wolves. On her first day of work, they said, you're going to go be live on Raw, which I I can't believe that's a thing. And things get emotional when she talks about performing the national anthem right after 9-11 on SmackDown. What a great conversation. It's hard to not love her. Her positivity is so infectious. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Lillian Garcia. Well, here we go. We are in your beautiful studio here. Ah, I'm so excited you came to me. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I go to everybody. I know. I'm just kidding. No, I would have come to you too, but this is awesome. I'm a little jealous. Yes. Welcome to Chasing Glory Studios. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I'm jealous. I feel like I need a setup like this. (laughs) You know, it was a lot of fun um, putting this together. And when we moved from the marina, it's so wild. I had to tell you the story because I think it's important too to talk about this um, segue, if you don't mind. I'm going to take over. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to interview myself. It's the Chris Um, Van Vliet show with Lillian Garcia. (laughs) Um, But no, but we were living in the marina and mold invaded our place. Oh my God. Badly. And I've... I already had a bout of mold exposure from a house that had black mold 20 years ago. And it really affected my respiratory. Like I've been on a mold-free diet since then. Wow. It's that intense. So when that started happening, it was when my dad was passing away, actually. He came and lived with us because he was getting treated at City of Hope. And um, we thought he could beat bladder cancer, of course. That's what you always think, right? But then the doctors told us he had two to three months to live. And uh, he ended up living five because my dad's a lieutenant colonel he fought all the way but that's when I left WWE but during that time I was getting very very sick and I thought maybe it was because of dad dying that I was losing my immune system the stress and everything like that come to find out he passes away and then I'm we go my husband and I he passes away Christmas Day 2016 and in 2017 it was around um, April and we were like we need to just go away Uh, for a while maybe it was yeah I I can't remember maybe it's 2018 but anyway um, we went away for a month to Thailand a friend of us ours invited us out there so we were like okay we're gonna go we went we were originally gonna go for two weeks we extended it for a month we needed the break from the whole thing and then um, I clear up completely like I have no allergies I can eat whatever I want it was insane and then I come home and I get sick again and even my husband feels it so all of a sudden it dawned on me because of the house 20 years before i was like wait could we literally have mold again in oh, this wow. place yeah. i was like no luck cannot get me twice no <laughs> well i got messed twice because we had it tested high levels of mold bad 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 uh wow. try to go through remediation it just none of it worked we ended up having to leave and it was hard because that's where my dad passed away so it was so hard and my sister had painted this huge mural in the kitchen like we were wanting to stay there mm. so when uh, we were forced to move and we started looking around my allergist is like go somewhere dry 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 so we went to west hollywood and we walked into this place and we're like oh, i could literally have the chasing glory room you know the yeah. studios so that's how we landed here so now i'm like grateful to the mold this is a- <laughs> Silver lining and everything. Yeah, I like that you find the positive in everything. Silver lining and everything. That's amazing. Seriously, there's a silver lining in everything. And I know at times it feels like the world is falling and crumbling apart and whatever. But you can find it if you can focus on it. And, you know, even with my dad passing, there's a silver lining and everything. Um, So I think that's what's so great about your podcast, too. About uh, Just about Chasing Glory in general is that you have these guests on there and they're talking about 
their life and not necessarily talking about what they did inside the ring. And I think that that's what right. sets you apart. Thank you. I, you know, that was a labor of love. Actually, my dad, before he passed away, this was in September. And like I said, he passed away Christmas Day. So in September, and I left WWE at the beginning of on like the first of October when we got the news. So by September, mid-September or so, he goes, Lil, please, I feel so bad already that you left. Like, you got to find something. What, what are mm. you going to do now? And I had this idea back in 2004. I actually uh, presented it to WWE. It wasn't called Chasing Glory. Sure. But the concept was there because I was in the locker room with all these amazing women that had gone through so much mm -hmm. from alcoholism to eating disorders to being abused, you know, and I was like, wow, there's some real stories here. And if people, the fans really knew what these women had gone through, yeah. I think that they could embrace them even more, right? And so I presented it to WWE, but it just wasn't the right time. This was before Total Divas. This is before the network. This is, you know, they were just doing things on WWE.com, yeah. right? But um, I also think that at that time, they weren't open to letting people into the real life, right? The curtain was yes. still there. So it wasn't until years, a few years after that, that they did decided to do Total Divas and all. And so when my dad said that to me, I said, hmm, I wonder if I can go ahead and do the original concept that I had. I called it Making Their Way to the Ring, and I started it after Buzz TV. And um, the four, I don't know, four or five episodes were women. And or a lot, yeah, you know, I brought in a lot of women because I wanted to keep that original concept. And then from there, it just grew. Podcast One then um, signed me, and we changed it to Chase and Glory. And boom, I mean, it's just, you know, taken off from that. I, yeah. I went independent about uh, a year ago now. I left Podcast One, and so here we are in the studios. And yeah. it's. It's been a labor of love, dude, because this is a lot of work. As oh, you know, I know, this is a lot of work. <laughs> People think they can just like, oh, I'm just going to do. Holy cow, this yes. is a lot of work. And anyone that's listening right now, that's not to say you can't have a podcast. Of you course. can have a YouTube show. You can. It's just, yeah. it's a lot of work. You got to do it for the passion of it. You yes. can't just do it because you go, oh, everyone else is doing it, so let me do it. Yeah. You got to do it because you've got something serious to say, because you have a passion, or you, you know, you also want to bring stories out. But you got to understand that it's the work of setting all of this up, doing the interviews, doing the booking. Then it's the promotion behind it, the uploads, the you know, all of that. That's yeah. The equipment, the yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's a lot. Yeah. How are you chasing glory in your everyday life? Yeah. Wow. You know, it's wild because people think. You know, the perception is that if you are a celebrity or you've been in a position of making it at a certain you know, distance, that you have no troubles, mm. that that's the perception. But, I, and, and I definitely am one of those people that will count my blessings and have to continuously remind myself to count my blessings. But I've also realized that I think I'm a product of watching what my parents did. Yeah. And I think that's why I like to get into those interviews too as to, how did you grow up? What? Tell me about your life as a kid. You know, because a lot of what happens to us as a child, um, you know, in those growing up years, really do follow us. Yeah. And I realize it's more and more that, you know, my dad, Lieutenant Colonel, my mother raised us. Um, she, she had her own career for a long time. She was an accountant and all. But I remember that they were still like never happy. Like they struggled to find happiness with each other. Um, I think they were completely mismatched. Uh, my sister and I, you know, when we were growing up, we begged them to get divorced. 
because they were fighting so much. Mm. I, it really affected me. Um, and it wasn't until after we moved from Spain. I moved from Spain when I was eight years old. You were born in Spain, right? Well, I was born in the canal zone of Panama. So people don't realize that. They oh. think immediately. But when um, my dad was stationed in the canal zone. Now, the canal zone no longer exists. I mean, the canal zone's there, but the name is now just Panama. But at that time, the U.S. owned the canal zone. So it was a, there was a military base there. Okay. So I was born there, but at three months old, I went to Spain. Mm. And I lived there in Madrid for eight years. That, to me, is home. That's what I consider home because it's the first eight years of my life. Life. Yeah. I don't remember the Canal Zone or the Pan you know, Panama Canal Zone. Yeah. Um, but so their life there was amazing. My parents got along great, loved the energy. I went to the military school um, when I was five years old. I had a little sign that's all because Spanish is my first language. All I could say was hello and goodbye. That was it. <laughs> so I went into kindergarten saying, you know, all I can say is hello and goodbye. Oh, wow. That was it. Um, scary, but my mom tells me this because obviously I don't remember everything at five years old, but she tells me, she offered it to me. Do you want to go to the American school or you want to go to the Spanish school? And she presented to my sister and I both, and we were like, the English school, American school. And so, um, but she says I was so scared, but at the same time I was mad at myself for being scared and going, oh, I can do this, I can do this. Yeah. So I've got that ingrained. I don't, I'm, I'm sure my dad instilled in my and my mom mm. as well like she's definitely somebody that um has broken some barriers she was like number three in her class um she was the only female for a while to like even in being in accounting and business administration like she broke some barriers so yeah. i know i have that in me and so um but i remember that i went in there and the, and the teacher was telling everybody to talk to me in english and even in, she wanted it in, um, when we had recess, she's like, I want all of you, because she knew some, some kids that speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. She goes, but I want everybody to speak to Lillian in English. <laughs> I was furious in a way because I couldn't really communicate, right? Sure. And so I'm trying to figure this all out, but I found one girl and um, we would go in recess and would hide in the corner and then I'd speak Spanish all the time. She spoke Spanish the whole time to me. But then they told my mother to speak Spanish. So at home, she was, I mean, to speak English. So at home, she was speaking English to me. She said I was furious that I was just like, no, my mother speaks Spanish. Like, I just felt like it was just weird to hear my mother speaking a different language. Yeah. And I think it's probably, I just wanted a break from all day long hearing English to yeah, then yeah. at home. It was a little too much. <laughs> now, how much do you speak Spanish now? I do. I still do. Um, which is, I speak to her in Spanish all the time. It's weird. Oh, it funny. really <laughs> is weird for me not to have a conversation in Spanish with my mom. Now, when we're around other people, of course, I'm going to speak English. But with just she and, and, and I, it's like, yeah, it's definitely. Would you interact with any of the wrestlers who spoke Spanish, speaking just oh, Spanish yeah, to them? Oh, yeah, Ray. Okay. Ray Mysterio, um, Carlito, when he was there. Um, I would speak to, um, uh, what's the other Did one? Did Eddie speak Sincara, Spanish? Eddie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I spoke to all of them in Spanish. Wow. We'd have these full-on conversations backstage. It was great because it gave me an opportunity as well because if you don't practice it, you will lose it. Sure. And there's some words that I have lost. I totally have. Um, and I also left when I was eight. So I realized that leaving when I was eight, and I still spoke with my parents here, but it wasn't full on, I don't know, I feel like I've lost the ability, or not lost, I think I just never got it. Mm. The big words. The big words, right? Because I have like the most, the more generic 
conversation. But you throw some of these bigger words that we'll even throw, um, like it's an ominous day. I have no idea how to say ominous <laughs> in Spanish. No idea. But that's what I mean, like yeah. those kind of words that we don't use every yeah. day. Well, you talk about your mom breaking barriers. It's exactly what you did in the WWE. Mm. Although I imagine when you were going in, you had really no idea what you were getting yourself no into. No idea. No idea. No. No idea. Like literally. Um, got hired. I show up and I still don't know what I'm doing. And this is in 1999. 1999. I just remember like my my interview process was kind of like this. Like I would be interviewing a wrestler and or they'd turn the tables on me. Michael Cole would interview me and see how I did on camera. And uh, there was a few things that, that I had to do. But but nobody at any point said ring announcer ever hmm. in the in that process. And I almost didn't even go to the audition. It was my agent who said, go, you never know. Sure. So I was like, <laughs> okay. You know, and I was hosting at the time I was singing, but singing was like my main thing, main thing. Yeah. And so, um, but it wasn't until they, they wanted me at SummerSlam. That was supposed to be my first day starting. I started in uh, August of 23rd of 99, which was Monday Night Raw, but mm -hmm. they wanted me for SummerSlam. I have no idea what I would have done at SummerSlam. But anyway, uh, I couldn't because I was in the Dominican Republic. I'd already been booked for a singing gig. So I flew back on Sunday and then Monday morning got on a plane to go to Iowa State University because that's where the show was at that week. And Michael Cole gives me a tour and then I go to the production meeting and at three, I remember even Howard Finkel asking me, so what are you doing tonight? And I go, I, I don't know. Yeah, I have no, no idea. Way. And then at 3.30 is when they told me, you're ring announcing tonight on the air on Monday Night Raw. And I was like... And you had oh, never uh, ring announced never before? Never ring announced in my life. That never. seems very un-WWE-like. No, it is, there, you will not get that now. <laughs> yeah. There was no NXT back there. There was no, right. none of that. But like a house then. show or something, you know? You got it. You would think. But no, it was... It was and then 20 minutes before I'm going live, they said, oh yeah, by the way, no cue cards. Yeah. What? <laughs> you see that expression? You just get, yeah. I first, I thought Mark Gayton was like joking around. And I looked at him. I said, I'm sorry, but this is not a time to joke. I'm so nervous. Like my training was watching Tony Chimmel announce Sunday Night Heat, which was the show that was right before Raw. Yeah. For four matches. That was my training. So, and I'm sitting here trying to rewrite the cards that I'd gotten in the afternoon, um, you know, that I sat down with Tony to go over everything. And yeah, when Mark looked at me and he goes, yeah, there's no cue cards, I was just like, wait, wait how, how am I expected to do this job? I have to tell you that at that point, I thought I was gonna just run. Like I had in my mind, yeah. I looked at the exit and I was just like, go, just get out of here. Because there's yeah. 20,000 people in the arena. There's, it's 146 countries. Monday Night Raw, this was the Attitude Era. Oh, yeah, this we're talking. Was 14 million people yeah. watching it. Okay, it's not what it is now. Like, the numbers were so high. There's no DVR back then. No DVR. People were like, oh, my God. Yeah. It was crazy. And uh, in 10 minutes till I was able to calm down, like, I literally thought of two other situations that I'd been thrown into in the mm. sink or swim situation, and I succeeded in both. Mm. So I remember using the tools from what I learned there and applied it to that. And so wow. I got through it but I sounded horrible and there was no cadence. There's like, the following contest is scheduled for one fall. Like it was bad, it was so bad. I don't even know how they invited me back. It was so bad. Even now, like some people will throw me like, check this out for a flashback and I go, 
Oh, oh. God. <laughs> but at least you can see the improvement. <laughs> did, did they give you any sort of advice like, okay, we're going to say hometown first, then wait? Like, Well, Tony had sit, sat down with me when I was told at 3.30. He and I met at 4.30. He sat down and said, okay, this is what you say for this match. This is what you say for this match. So I was writing everything down. But the crazy part is it never happened ever again. The 15 years that I was there, ever, ever did it happen like that night. All the um, Most of the matches got switched. In other words... I'd been memorizing, memorizing, okay, this is coming next, this is coming next. Yeah, yeah. And then I'd be in the ring and they're like, uh, now seg three is going to be seg two. And so now this guy's oh, going to come no. instead of this guy. And I'm just like, hand me my cards, hand me my cards. And he'd run up. This is during the commercial. He'd run over with the cards. I'd look at the cards. I'm like, okay. And then I go up there and uh, thank God I have photographic memory. I'm sure that helps a little bit. But For sure. I, um, I would like from my head just be reading off what I just saw on the card. Oh my God. And, and then just trying to keep calm, keep calm, breathe, keep calm. <laughs> it was crazy. How long would you say it took you till you were comfortable? Oh, never. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, it was a few years. Wow. Dude, it was a few years. I mean, wow. it's live TV. Yeah. There's so much that can happen. Developing a cadence, developing a sound. I never wanted to listen, even after I found out that that's what I was going to be doing and that was going to be my job. I didn't go back and listen to Howard or I didn't go back and listen to Tony because I didn't want to try to copy them. Mm. And that's what I always told the announcers moving forward whenever I was helping somebody else um, coming up. I said... Don't listen so much to what anybody else has done. Try to find your own voice right. so that you can be original. Yeah. Otherwise, if you're just copying someone else, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, you just sound um, like you're doing an impression of them. Exactly. Yeah. That's like somebody doing an impression of Madonna or whatever. They're never going to have their own originality and yeah. stand out. Yeah. Um, so I did that on purpose. I didn't want to hear that. And so I just had to develop my own sound through trial and error and just doing it over and over and over. And so it took a while. Do you remember having like one mess up that like stands out in your mind where you're like, there's so many. <laughs> Are you kidding? But like one that you're there's like so super many. embarrassed about. Um, you know, it was funny because at the be I I'll tell you what silver lining. I love it. I used to be a perfectionist. I would beat myself up so bad if I messed something up. And I remember I would mess something up uh, in the ring because I was learning on the job, yeah. right? And I would mess something up and you would see me, I'd sit. And it's almost like I couldn't watch the mat, like the whole mm. night, all I kept thinking was, I messed up, I messed up, I messed up. Oh my God, this is horrible. I'm horrible. I suck. I, I Every negative thing that you could think of that was going on in my mind. So what that does is when I'd go up there again, I'd mess up again. So it was just this perpetual thing that would happen and it was just really bad. And yeah. I actually went and consulted um, a coach to try to help me to, for mentally as to how do I quit doing this? Because then there were times where I'd be like, wow, okay, there'd be like, I don't know, uh, 13, 14 segments, something like that. So I'm like, we're at seg 13 and I have one more and I haven't messed up. Okay, I could do this, I could do this. I haven't messed up, I haven't messed up. Then I'd go mess up. Because yeah. what you focus on is what happens. A thousand right? percent. Yeah. So the silver lining of that was that finally I remember I messed up on something and I turned around and I just started laughing. And laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing and laughing. And I'd go to ringside and I'm like still like laughing at it. I can't believe it. Just did that laughing, laughing. And all of a sudden everything got lighter and I was like, oh. It's okay. I've survived it. It's okay to mess up. I can just laugh at myself and then I can move on. Yeah. 
from that moment on, I started doing really well. And it was night after night after night without nothing. Yeah. And I realized, too, that this job, the mess-ups show up more than the regular job on, let's say, commentators. Because commentators are allowed to mess up and they'll go, excuse me, I mean. Yes. And nobody sees it as a mess-up. News anchors. Yeah. Right now, if you ask me something, you're like, I mean, it's not considered as, oh, yeah. he messed up. You yeah. know? Whereas an announcer... If you're in the middle of the ring and you do mess up, it is like, whoa, it stands out. Yeah. It totally stands out. Because you're supposed out. to be perfect. You're supposed to be perfect. But then somebody presented it to me and they were like, look, some of the best basketball players, the best football players, the best whatever, they don't get every touchdown. Yeah. Okay? They throw the ball and sometimes it misses and it does. But Tom Brady, for example, one of the best, right? But has he nailed every single throw he's ever done? No. Right. Right? So that's when the whole thing of perfectionism and all I was, oh, oh, wait. So if I can mostly be good, like mostly, you know, <laughs> then it's okay. Then it's a, a higher ratio. have a high ratio of doing a good job yeah, and yeah. having good attitude, you know, all of that. And that's what my career has been. Have I nailed every single announcement? No. But it's okay. But I've heard the stories of going out and doing what you thought you were supposed to do in the ring and then going backstage and hearing from Vince or someone else, why'd you do it like that? Yeah. You're like, because you told me to do it like that. Yeah. That yeah. must be difficult to work with. Well, it was, what I say too is the fact that sometimes I didn't get the, they changed something. Oh. and. Because everything is live you don't have TV, an earpiece and I didn't have an earpiece for 15 years. I didn't have that, an earpiece. That's so crazy to me. The the thing is, is sometimes things would change back there, and then they would forget. They'd forget to tell me, and so I'd go in the ring and I'd announce it a certain way because that's the way that I I knew I thought it was yeah, supposed yeah. to be announced. And then I find out, oh my god, why did she do it? Well, because I never got a message, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but I don't blame them either. There's so much happening in a live TV show, you know. It's just. That's what happens. Yeah. That's what happens. You can't be mad at anybody. Um, but I mean, sometimes I would just like, oh, I would be mad because I'm like, I'm trying to be perfect here and I'm being set up to fail. And then I'm like, but wait, they're trying their best too. Yeah. You know, we're all good. <laughs> it's live TV. It's crazy. I remember when you debuted and then it was like three weeks later, you're being put in a figure four leg lock yeah. by Jeff Jarrett. And I'm yeah. like, that, that just seems so sudden. But I thought it was great. It was a great strategy to introduce me, to make me part of it, that people immediately started feeling for me, right? Yes. So I thought it was a great idea, especially the fact that I was a female in a male-dominated industry, and at the time, females were not, you know, flourishing, not to that. I mean, you have China, certain yeah. ones that would definitely. But to have a female announcer um, taking over, you know, Howard's position is, that's a big step. Yeah. So I think it was great that they threw me in those things. And then even having the the feud that Howard Finkel and I had yeah. and um, throwing in three-minute warning in there and uh, the moves with that. I mean, I, th I thought the whole thing played out really nicely. And I've heard you tell the stories before that Howard was so helpful. Oh, my God. And Howard and Tony. But they could have had so much animosity. You got it. And that's why I thank them every chance I can get. Um, because, yes, Tony sat with me that day and told me everything to, to say it all. Um, but then Howard was the one that every Monday he goes, any questions? You have any questions? You come to me. You have any questions? So wow. I'd go to him and I'm like, Howard, what do I do here? And he, he knew. He knew, A, it wasn't my fault that I replaced him. 
Okay. He knew that I was trying hard. He knew that I appreciated him so much. He knew that I was just doing what I was told. And that's what another lesson I think is when somebody, when you think someone's taken your job, they really haven't. They just received an opportunity and yeah. they're going to take the opportunity. Yeah. And so would you, right? right? Don't be mad at them. You know, it's it's the decision of, of the higher ups that are making that. But I love the fact that Howard didn't also take it against the higher ups. He had like a 20 something year career sure. there. So um, he moved into a different position. So he was so gracious with that. And I love that man. I love that man. I wish him, I, I spoke to him recently because I know he's going through a hard time, sure. you know, and I spoke to him recently and uh, I did hear he went backstage and saw some people. I wish I would have been there. I wasn't there at the time. Um, but recently, apparently, he, he came backstage, and I just... He's, yeah, I saw the photos. The photos are out there. Right, backstage. right, yeah. So you should I just, have him on the show. Yeah, it, but he's in an assisted living place, so i got to figure that out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but um, I think you're absolutely right. Thank you for giving me that idea. Maybe i just find a way to go oh, to him. People would love to see that. Yeah. That'd be incredible. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Thank you for that. There we go. There we go. So Thanks. when you see it, yes. yeah, you'll know why. <laughs> Did you have a specific name that you loved to say? Name that I love to say, there's so many. Of course, but so there must many. be one that you're... One that just popped in my head, just because he and I, it got into sync, like, and it wasn't even planned, but Rob Van Dam, when I would say his name, it was fun because the fans would say it with me, yeah. and he got to a point, too, where we would time it after a while, like... It just happened naturally one time, and it happened so cool that it was like, oh, let's, I'm going to time this every time. I would take my time in doing his introduction while he was getting in the ring, so I would make sure that he was in the ring by the time I said Rob Van Dam. And if it wasn't in the ring, if I knew that he was right at the bottom, then I would say it then. But he and I started locking up where he knew he was waiting for me, and yeah. I would you know, be waiting for him to time it where he could be doing the RVD yeah. with his hands while I was saying his name that yeah. was really cool oh i love yeah. that yeah so once you started getting into it yeah. how long did you think you were going to be in wwe oh my god or wwf well, at the time yeah it was i definitely not 15 years like you probably had a contract that. and you're like yeah i could do th i could well, do it was this a contract. year contract oh that's it okay that, that's all it was so at first they said we'd like to try you out for two to three months and you could quit at any time that's why i even accepted the position oh okay because as i told you i was going music 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 so but i said god if it's meant to be, make it obvious. Mm. If it's not meant to be, make it obvious. Mm. So when they offered two to three months and I could quit at any time, that was pretty obvious to me. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna try this. Yeah. It's pretty obvious. So it was when Michael Cole took me around in the arena that day. I was just like looking around. I still didn't know what I was doing, right? But I'm looking around going, wow, this is pretty darn cool. And I said, God, I've, I've always wanted, I always had it in my mind, I was gonna sing arena, stadiums, like that's what I always had in my mind, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I wonder if I can get my music somehow in this and, and all that. So I was really trying to, to, to look at the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Just look at the bigger picture. You never know, you never know. And sure enough, I mean, here I start August of 99, and by February of 2000, um, I and it was The Rock who actually, when he found out that I sang, and we became friends from all the backstage interviews that he and I were doing, <laughs> we ended up becoming friends. And um, and then when he said, uh, I, I think it was, 
I had to do a house show that weekend. You know, at the time they were called house shows, right? Live events. But I, I wasn't doing those. Howard Finkel was still doing those. So he wasn't like out, out of announcing. He was just not doing Monday Night Raw. He was still doing pay-per-views. Right. So he was still doing pay-per-views and he was still doing the weekends because he wanted to do those. And I was fine with just doing the TV. Um, so they needed me to cover one of the TVs for him during the, the weekend of Valentine's. And so um, I had heard that they always play the national anthem. And so Rock and I were talking yeah. and he's, um, and I said, yeah, I hear that they play the national anthem in instrumental. Do you think they'd ever like have me maybe try it and do it? He goes, have you ever done it? I said, yeah, I did it for my high school, my graduation, yeah. there was 600 people. I was like, I did it there and I've sang my entire life. Um, I said, I would love to if they'll let me. And he goes, I will let the producers know about this. So why don't you come and let's do a rehearsal that day. Let them hear you and let's see it. So sure enough, I did the rehearsal in the afternoon. The producers were like, absolutely, let's have you do it tonight. I did it that night. Then I ring announced the show. Um, I did the next night and the next night. So I did Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right. By Monday, Vince McMahon, they all told Vince all about it. Vince was like, oh, I have to see this for myself. <laughs> so we were, I think it was San Jose. They, but I remember it being, I think it was Valentine's Day because it was during that weekend. But, um, and I sang it that night right before we went on air with Raw and Vince loved it and the mm. fans loved it. And I think that's another thing that helped them receive me too and that's one of the things that vince yeah. said he goes i want you to do this at every show because i think this is going to help you also win over the fans because they were still in that transition of this is hard to accept you know a female and someone who's replacing howard finkel and someone who's not very good at their job and they don't know that i'm not good at my job because <laughs> i've never been trained so i think all of that helped me putting me in storylines and then having me sing so, um, so yeah, that was that was the start of every single event, and then that WrestleMania they had me two thousand. That was the very first WrestleMania that I ever did, and then I ended up doing three total. Like wow. I hold the record, yeah, which is crazy. Because wow. at one time Aretha Franklin and I were tied for two, so I was just like, <laughs> at that time I was like, oh my god, I'm tied with Aretha Franklin yeah. for singing the most times at WrestleMania, and then all of a sudden they asked me to do it a third time, like. I'm gonna hold the record. What? <laughs> yeah, it's and this crazy. of course led to you know the moment that no one can forget 9/11 oh. when you sang the anthem and obviously it was such a touching moment. I'm getting goosebumps. Wow, look at that. Oh, wow, just wow, that's crazy. Legit, legit. Just uh, just thinking about it, but it's the one line. Our flag was still there. I'm not yeah. even American, and I was like, that's it's crazy. I got goosebumps. What was it like before you stepped into the ring, knowing that that was gonna be that moment? Well, it was a really hard week for me, especially because the way I found out about 9-11 was I, um, so let me preface it, the night before, we were in Texas, right? So the night before, we were driving, and when I say we, I was in the car by myself, but it was, uh, Chuck Palumbo was there that night on Monday Night Raw, and this is when we were both doing both shows. We were doing Raw and SmackDown. Mm -hmm. So obviously on Raw, I did announcing, on SmackDown, I did backstage interviews. So we were driving, um, and that night, Chuck and uh, Stasiak, actually, they both were like, are you driving by yourself? And I'm like, yeah, I always pretty much drive by myself. This is before um, Trish had come into, Trish and I then became uh, Trish Stratus. We became partners and drove everywhere together. But mm. I was driving by myself and um, they were like, well, we'll follow you just to make sure that you get there okay. Cause it was like 200 miles or something like that between shows, which was really great. 
such gentlemen. I love mm. them. And it's so funny that that happened because it didn't happen in other nights, but it's wild that it happened that night. Wow. And I'll tell you why. Like, I feel like, you know, there's things that protect us, right? So I did, they did follow me. And um, so we got to the hotel that we're staying in the same, same hotel. We got to the hotel and I got awoken at uh, seven something in the morning because we were two hours behind Texas. I think it's two hours behind East Coast time or something. One, one hour behind. Oh, one hour yeah. behind. Okay. So I remember Central it being time, yeah. seven something, okay, sure. whatever. Anyway, um, and I got awoken at that time. I was married. And so my ex um, was telling me, oh, my God, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm like, what do you mean? And I was living in New York City. We were both in New York City, living oh, wow. there. Yeah. He, I, I said, I'm trying to wake up. I'm like, what do you mean you're okay? What do you mean you're okay? He goes, There's, something's happened, something's happened, I don't know, everybody's running all the way, like they were running. He goes, I'm just now making it to Times Square. I've been running all the way from the financial district no and something major has happened and, um, and, and I couldn't make it out. Like, what are you talking about? And then the phone goes dead. So I try to get back, now I can't get him back. So I turn on the TV, and that's when I see that the, a plane has gone in and hit the tower. Wow. So I'm freaking out, Sure. freaking out. So then, as I'm watching the TV, the second plane hits, mm. right? And then um, the towers start coming down. And that's when he called back. He gets a hold of me. As I'm watching, the tower is going down. And I'm like losing it. I'm alone in the hotel room. I'm losing it. I'm, I'm like this crazy. I have him on the line. He's running. He has no idea what anything has happened. Yeah. And I'm like, they've fallen. They've fallen. I'm screaming. They've fallen. They're falling. They're down. They're down. He's like, what's down? What's falling? What's falling? I said, the f excuse my furniture, <laughs> but I said, my freaking, the, the towers, like they're gone. And he's like, what? And he's freaking out, right? Because he, he said there's pandemonium in the streets. People don't know what's what's going on, but there's like this major dust, major this, major that. So we lose contact again. And then as I'm hearing the news, they're all talking about the fact that there is a bomb threat in the Grand Central Station. There's a bomb threat here. There's a bomb threat there. Like it's like all New York, right? There's, yeah. Everyone's thinking that it's just blowing up everywhere. And I can't get a hold of him. Wow. So I remember I called Molly Holly. I called Ivory. I couldn't get a hold of him, but I knew that they were in a different hotel. I called Chuck Palumbo and I was like, Chuck, I, mean, I woke him up with the news and I was freaking, I was crying, I was freaking. He runs to my room, we're sitting there watching the TV, he's just holding me as I'm crying, crying, crying. And I said, how ironic, right, that he and Stasiak offered to follow me. I wouldn't have known to, to reach out to him yeah. and I wouldn't have known who was there at the hotel, but he helped me throughout that entire, what was it, two days that they decided well, we're going to stay in Houston. We're going to go live now on Thursday. And then I get the word. I don't remember when they told me that I was going to sing the national anthem or asked me to. I don't remember the exact date. I just remember, I mean, I was in a fog. Mm. So at least I found out that my ex was, he was safe. He was fine. But, um, but Chuck really helped me for those following days. And then when I found out, when I found out I was singing, I was just like, Oh my God, can I do this? Can I do this? Like, that's like a major, the fact that I lived in New York City, um, you know, the fact that I knew the story, like what my ex had gone through, um, 
the the just watching and replaying and replaying and playing those images and images and the fact that I knew that the they had canceled everything and they'd cancel NFL NBA they'd canceled yeah. everything but we were still going live and yeah. you're going to be the first person to be singing our national anthem in a you know public forum and on TV and all of that I was just like <laughs> what um, so right before and isn't it crazy that the time that I had sang before that prepared me for that moment. Had I not had the practice mm. of singing at every single event, singing for our fans who I already felt connected with, right, who had embraced me so much from singing the anthem, all those things helped me to yeah. get through that night because it wasn't like, boom, on the announcer and for the first time you're hearing me sing and you know, that would have been a lot of pressure but I feel like all of that led me to that night and that moment and um, I'd already been singing in acapella as well for since I started. Yeah. So that I'd gotten used to. Um, but Paul Heyman saw me right before going to sing. And he looked at me and he goes, I, I looked at him like with this look. He, it's almost like he could read my look. And he's like, you know you got this, right? Mm. And I was like, Paul, this is so much, this is big. I don't know if I can do this. Like this is so much bigger than me. And he goes, no, you know you can do this. Like, this is, everything has set you up for this moment. I said, but I think I might lose it. He goes, and it's okay. He goes, if you lose it, it's okay. Yeah. Just cry, just yeah. cry. So I decided, I, I didn't even make a decision. I was just like, just sing from the heart, just sing from the heart. Like, this is, you know, I'm an army brat. My dad fought in Vietnam. Our country got, you know, and my dad obviously was alive during that time and he had t and I talked and I told him, oh God, I gotta go sing this. And he's like, Lil, you know, we're all about America. You know that, you know, you could, you and him too, you know, you can do this mom, all of that. So I got in the ring. Now I didn't know that everybody was gonna be lined up on the ramp. Woof, that's what an image, right? Having yeah. all of everybody lined up. I mean, from the staff in the back, everyone was there in, out, in the arena and then all the flags and the oh god talk about goosebumps i still do i still get teary-eyed i still remember yeah. that i still remember what i felt like afterwards and crying and wow and you held it together until the song was done i think you can hear it if you go back in the recording you can hear when i say the word free I crack up a little bit because it was starting. It was all starting to build up in me because yeah. I knew I was like, keep it together, keep it together, keep it together. But when I said the flag was still there and I had to sing it up there, like I, I never heard it sung that way. I've heard it sung that way since, but I've never heard it sung that way before then. But it always bothered me. In the, and I had sang it before that night when I was singing in the arena. I'd always sang it as I started to really be like, I want to make the song mine. It always bothered me that and the flag was still there. It's like, that's a big moment. The flag is still there. Yeah. You can't just, you know, <laughs> la, 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 la. Like, so that's when I changed it. The flag is still, you know, and just really make it. The flag is still freaking there. Yeah. And that night, you can hear it too. When I sang it, our flag was still there. And everybody in the arena is like, yes, it is. Yeah. We're still here. So. It's a crazy 18 and a half years later how... You're still you're still in that moment when you tell the story, and I think that's yeah. what's so special about that. 
Like I, I can, can see how emotional you, you are and you're getting about this. I feel it. I think, isn't it? Next year is 20 years and it's just insane um, to think it was 20 years ago and I can still feel it like it was yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, you won't have any moments in WWE that could ever compare to that. But match-wise, what's, mo- what's the most emotion you felt announcing in a match? In a match... There's been some incredible matches that I've gotten to announce. Um, I, I'm trying to think. I, like, I remember it was wild when we're outside at WrestleMania, and it goes from day to night. Yeah. And then you're announcing the main event. You feel this energy in the stadium that you can't even explain. It is, it would give me goosebumps. It would give me, like I was, sometimes I was literally cold. I was shaking in there because it was cold outside and I'm sitting here in the, you know, a little (laughs) dress or whatever. But it was also the adrenaline. So mix that I was cold with the adrenaline rush and all. Those are the moments that immediately pop in my mind. It's like, wow, main event. And the fact that I, I was the first female to ever announce WrestleMania. Like that is just beyond something so special yeah. and dear to me and just so honored by that. So WrestleMania really does hold a special meaning for me because of that as well. Did, did you want to know the finishes to matches? No. So I used to at the very beginning and I hated it. I hated it. They used to have it written in the in the scripts yeah. so I could actually see it. Even if I wanted to to not know, I could see it written in the scripts. And then it started getting leaked out. So they started taking it off the scripts. Mm. And so they would ask me, hey, do you want to know? And I'm like, no, I want to announce it just like a fan. So genuinely, when you'd hear me like, here's your winner, you know, <laughs> or and the new, you know, I would be just as excited as the fans. Oh my God, it's the new champion, you know? That's why I didn't want to know, because I wanted to give it an honest and i wanted to watch the the match as a fan to not know the ending to go my god three no you know so that was me that was me i loved it what if there was a new tag team or something and you were just trying to figure out the wording of what they were or something did you ever like you know write down little notes or something for that oh yeah i mean i'd write down notes but i would need that for the introduction so that's true yeah yeah so i would already have everything i need i have it for the introduction the only time that maybe I would need to know an ending is if uh, something was going to get worded differently or, for example, Seth Rollins coming in, just one example, but anybody would be coming in to cash their money in the bank, I would have to know that because I would need to know that, yes, it's legit when the referee comes and says, come over, like, it's legit, come over, you know? And then there's times that are like, I'm gonna wave you over, but take your time because he's really not gonna cash his money in the bank. So that's why I would need to know those sure, things. Yeah. So if I knew that he was gonna cash his money in the bank, obviously I don't, still don't know the ending, but those little things I would need to know to the, coordinate. The environment was so different for females and in, in particular female wrestlers when you started out. Yeah. It's changed drastically over the last 20 years. What was the first indication that you saw that things were really starting to take a turn? For the women? For, for women, for yeah. For women. Because you came in in the era of bra and panty matches oh yeah. and that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. When those bra and panty matches started going away mm. and started having real legit matches, that's when I was just like, wow, this is really freaking cool. And the way that the women were working so hard. But it was the whole give divas a, a chance that tweet that went out you know the hashtag 
that was trending that WWE finally listened because I was back there when the women were so frustrated. Wow, we had a five minute match that just got cut down to two minutes. Like yeah. I literally would see it where they would come in and all, all of a sudden I, I would hear, wow, their match is getting, um, they're telling them to go home. And they just got in uh, and they're telling them to go home, yeah. you know? And I'd see the frustration and I'd hear about it, right? Because they wanted to prove themselves. They really wanted, they're like, God, what, what are we here for? To go out there and one, two, three, boom. And you're gonna think there's a lot that goes into makeup and hair. Way more than the guys, you know? So now you're <laughs> sure. going through all that trouble to get your makeup and hair and yet you got two minutes out there, you know? So they just wanted an opportunity. So when that opportunity came, they seized on it, which is great. And mm -hmm. they proved that they can hold their own in a Royal Rumble match, in a ladder match, you know? And, and all of these hell in the cells, elimination chamber, my God, amazing matches. And they've really proven themselves, which is awesome. Was there ever a conversation about having you start to wrestle? Okay, so I'm glad you asked me that. Um, people had asked me about that. Why aren't you wrestling? Why aren't you getting into a match? Why don't you? And I have one match with Howard Finkel, but that was like you know an evening gown match. It was a haha -ha match. It yeah. wasn't like a legit. We're both not wrestlers. When I saw the work that everybody was putting in to be a wrestler. I kept thinking I would see other people come in, celebrities or yeah. that, and they would learn a couple moves and yeah. they would get in and do a, a full blown match. Yes. And then they'd call themselves a wrestler. Yeah. And it, by the way, and it never looked right when no, a celebrity would come in. Of course not. Yeah. They'd, this takes a lot of training, yeah. a lot of training. So I didn't want to go and learn a couple moves and then be in a match and then call myself a wrestler. I felt like that was very disrespectful to the art of what's happening there, uh, the athleticism. Mm. Um, I felt like, no, you know what? You've got ring announcing and you've got singing and you're doing backstage interviews, so you're good. I was good, I was good with that. And I was like, if I ever wanna be a wrestler, then I need to legit go train for a really long time, like legit become a wrestler. Don't just do a couple moves and call yourself a wrestler. Yeah. It's disrespectful. Well, you and Justin Roberts were really the last of the ring announcers that were stars. I mean, now they're not even really on camera. It's just, yeah, you, know, you just hear that. the voice. Yeah. yeah. Was that starting to change at all during your tenure? Of not having the camera? Yeah. You know, I, I do remember that there were be some points when I came back I feel like when I left for two years I mean I never thought after I left for 10 years I I thought that was it like when I legit said my goodbye in the middle of the rain I was crying and I was just like I love you guys and I'll miss you I mean that was legit we know wrestling retirements aren't ever real and it's so funny because somebody reached out and they were like yeah you're gonna pull a Jericho before long and I was like thinking when I read that I went no I'm, I'm really gone because my plan was to have children that was my whole plan. Mm -hmm. My husband and I actually, uh, my husband now, right? Because I remarried. But um, my husband and I had planned to, I, I left on Monday. It was September uh, 22nd, I think it was, uh, 21st, I think it was. You're so good with dates I know. you're traveling well, the I'll world. I'll tell you why. Because um, September 28th, which was the Monday after I got married. So oh, okay. one Monday I retire, the next Monday I'm getting married. Wow. Yeah. And then you guys moved out here to LA. Yeah. And we, we moved out, we got married in September and we didn't move till May of the following year. It wasn't like we, I didn't, we didn't even know. That's still a lot of life changes in just eight months or whatever that oh, is. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. But the plan was to have kids and it what we moved because 
So we had um, abstained because when we went through the Catholic Church, we, we both got our marriages annulled. So uh, we found out, it was actually a, a priest who set me free, believe it or not, from my first marriage. And you would think the Catholic Church, what? You can divorce? No, you know? Yeah. But I was really unhappy. And it was really sad because I, my ex was really good to me, really a good guy. But I remember, and I want to say this in case anybody's in this position. So the week before I got married, my first marriage, the week before I got married, I was hyperventilating in the car with him, telling him, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. And he was like, oh, you're just having wedding jitters, it's okay, everything will be fine. Yeah. But no, my intuition, my intuition was firing. And I didn't listen to my intuition, and I went through with it. And sure enough, like it just kept spiraling down. And I thought there was something wrong with me, because the guy was so good to me, that I thought, well, you just know, don't know how to receive love. You know, there's something wrong with you that maybe you just need turmoil in your life. And I'd never been about that. I've never been in relationships that were turmoil. So I was just like uh, years and years and years and years and years of therapy, years of therapy. Then I went through antidepressant pills. So I was on antidepressant pills. So I was living in New York City where I, at the time, it was, I'd moved from South Carolina. He moved with me, New York. Uh, I was living my dream, but yet I was on antidepressant pills and so sad. And I walked into the Catholic Church. Um, I, I just just to catch a sermon, actually, and I really connected with. It was a visiting priest. So talk about things that that happen. That yeah. not. But I really connected with this visiting priest, and I pulled him aside at the end, and I said, "Can I talk to you, please?" And he's like, "Yeah." So we went into your room. Bald. Oh my God! I cry. Well, I'm not. I, I still can see the amount of tissues everything i was just like i am so unhappy and is it me that i just don't know how to receive love and you know i told him everything and he's like well did you want kids with them and i said no like no offense but i i knew i was already sad i want to bring children into the situation yeah i think that's a mistake people think that if they bring kids it It'll will make the relationship it, yeah. strong no 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 your relationship's got to be strong to sustain the kids <laughs> yeah. so um so i ended up not going through with it and uh i mean so he told me, he's like, well, you know, the Catholic Church believes in annulment when it's not with kids and all that. And so he said, it's going to take a lot of interviews. And they interviewed my ex, they interviewed me, they interviewed families, they interviewed all this. And two and a half years later, I was granted an annulment. Wow. So we could actually, my husband and I could, um, and, and we left amicable, by the way, and, by the, and he also, uh, my ex, thanks me to this day that mm. I let him go. Mm. Because he realized it wasn't that, that I didn't know how to receive love. It was just that I was with someone that wasn't my right partner. Uh, I loved him as a friend. Mm. and so. But when you marry just a friend and not someone that you're in love with, I loved him, I wasn't in love with him, that's where the it will just crumble. Right. So I mentioned that in, in hopes of helping anyone out there that might be going through the same thing, right? Sure. But, um, but when I met my um, husband now and we went to the Catholic Church and we were like, okay, we want to do this. And in the eyes of God, this is actually going to be the first marriage. And um, they were like, yeah, you got to abstain. And because uh, we asked him, we said, we're not virgins. So how do we do this going into this? He goes, well, start abstaining as of now. And I was like, but we're six months out. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, and? I was like, Oh, my husband and I looked at each other. We're like, Oh, this sounds okay, awful. You're like, can we, we have the we, wedding tomorrow? Yeah. We're like, okay, we can do this. And he's like, 
have conversations, have, you know, communicate this, that. I mean, he's like really just talking about how, um, uh, just look at it in a different way, right? So I was like, okay, all right, so I'm going to do that. So I'm sorry, my phone is going off. Let me turn that off. It's okay. Maybe it's Vince Forgot McMahon now, calling right? you back. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, things that you forget to do mm. before the uh, interview. It's okay. I put this on airport mode. We keep it real, right? <laughs> anyway, um, so we ended up having amazing conversations, getting to know each other, playing games, board games, all this stuff, things that we never normally would have done. Wow. It was beautiful. So in our wedding day, like it really became legit. Like we were a husband and wife and it felt like we were huh. virgins because it had been six months. So it was like a buildup and it was just gorgeous. And the plan was have kids. We have not used protection since day one. And uh, and I'd gotten off the pill, and they said it's going to take you a while when you get off. It's going to take your your body a while. It might take you a year. Mm -hmm. So now that I we'd gotten off around April, so by that following April, when I was like, well, what's nothing's happening, you know? Then they checked me out and checked him out, and they were like, oh yeah, you guys can't have kids. Mm. It's like, oh shit, <laughs> what do we do now? Like it was. It was something that I didn't know the decision was going to be made for me. Right. You know, so it was really hard. And yeah. it was the same day I found out Candace was pregnant with her first. Mm. So, well, it was hard. But that's when the decision came like, okay, well, let's move to L.A. I had come out here for just a, a job, like an interview, and it, everything went really well. And so I called him up and I was like, I guess we're going to live in, in, in L.A. And he loved it. He's always wanted to come and live in L.A. So we moved out here, and then it was uh, another year before we decided to go back. Like, the door was open for me to go back, so I did. It, was it hard for you to deal with the news that, I mean, you wanted to be a mom, and now, like you said, the decision was made for you that you can't be? Yeah. How is that something that you dealt with? Because I'm sure that's something that a lot of people a have to deal with. A lot of people have to deal with. So at first, it was like, wow. I mean, it was a hard day. Now, I, I couldn't even be in the same apartment um, the, the, where we were living in an apartment I couldn't be in the apartment I had to be out because I felt like the walls were really narrowing in the mm. apartment never felt smaller than that day mm. and um, so I remember calling my husband when I, when I got the news and he came and met me immediately he left work and we were uh, walking around in like zombie world like I was just in a fog and crying going, you know, slide in the corner and just bawling. And then that's when I got the call from Candace. Never did I think that she was going to tell me the news that what she told Candace me. Candace Michelle? Yeah, yeah, Candace Michelle. So when she called me, I was going to just oh. pour out to her, oh, my God, I found this out. But when I answered the phone, she goes, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And I was like, what? She goes, guess what I found out? Guess what I found out? And I'm like, what? She goes, I'm pregnant. Oh, oh my God. I literally was like, Congratulations, you know, and I couldn't tell her. I couldn't tell. Her. Sure. I couldn't ruin her moment. That's her moment, yeah. And I still don't know to this day. I can't remember if I've told her that story or not. But I couldn't ruin her moment. So then I hung up the phone and I really started bawling. And I was like, "Wow, you know, I'm happy for her. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but I just found out this news, and I'm like, oh. So I'm like, what do I do? You know, like what what do I really do? And that's. Um, those, that was a big realization. And again, that we didn't find out. That's when we found out in April. And so I was like, okay, well, go out to LA. Let's see what you can do there. Start volunteering at, you know, kids' children's hospitals, which I did a lot of. Um, find a way to be around children in a different capacity. Yeah. 
And that's what I've done to this day. And I'm, I've embraced it now. I think with my lifestyle, as much as I do love doing these kinds of things in the show and, and all, um, and I see some of, my, some of my friends who always wanted kids are exhausted. They are so tired all the time. Yeah. And I go to them and I'm like, is it worth it? Yeah. You know, and some of them had said, oh yeah, there's no, nothing like it. And literally some of them have been like, I wish I would have known what yeah. I know. I love my kids to death, but I wish I would have known now what I, you know, then I, what I, I know now. I have friends that say the exact same right? thing. Yeah. You know, in a personal moment, they're not like bragging to the world like, oh, don't know. No, but. Don't know if I wanted to be a parent, but it's a lot of it's work. It's a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of work and it doesn't end up coming out like sometimes the way you you know want to come out yeah so i go maybe god was protecting me from something maybe mm. for me it would have destroyed me in some way i don't know but i love that you look for the silver the line silver we've been lining. talking about this since yeah. the start of the interview but the silver line and the positive in what could be perceived to many people as a negative it's not you just have to then okay so this has happened to you Again, 90, I always say this, 90% is what happens to us. Uh, I'm sorry, 10% is what happens to us. 90% is how we react. It's yeah. funny because DDP even shared that. I forget who the quote is by. I got to look it up. But, um, but it really is legit that to anything. And recently I was supposed to sing at the Jets game. And I land on Friday and I start getting a sore throat. And mm. my voice started going hoarse. And I'm like, holy crap, what's going on? By Saturday, it just got worse and worse and worse. The medication that they gave me made me worse. Um, and uh, by Sunday, I like I had nothing. I had nothing. So they had to call in the sub. And I had to make a decision Saturday night. I'm like, all right, what do I do this with this? I always say 10% is what happens to us. 90% yeah. is how we react. Well, what do I do with this? So I was like, okay, I can be bummed. I am bummed. All right, accept that. I'm bummed. Now what do you do? Mm. And so I decided to be in a supporting role for the girl who did get called. Um, she has, is a sideline reporter for the Jets. She is not a trained singer. She's just someone that can sing. Yeah. And it said, hey, if you ever need any, anybody in a pinch, I'm here. So she was there, right? And now she is nervous as all get out. 80,000 people. This would have been my 14th time. This was her first. Yeah. So I show up at, uh, at 9 a.m. for her sound check which would, would have been mine the, sh the the game didn't start till one i really didn't need to be there at all they were like you, you know if you don't feel well don't don't worry about coming i was like no 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 i feel fine it's just my voice is gone yeah so i show up whispering to her and just trying to get her through that and and um she told me the next day how much it helped her which made me feel great yeah made me feel great i was like wow i was actually able to give her an opportunity and give her a chance to to shine and you know, and, and it also, the silver lining was, for me, it made me realize singing does not define me. Because for the longest time, even doing Chasing Glory, I always felt like, well, if I don't have something to do with singing, my life is empty. Yeah. My life is meaningless. Yeah. And that's the way I always saw it. And after that moment, I went, no, singing is something I get to do. It's fun. Mm. But if I never sang another day in my life, it doesn't define who I am. Yeah. So that was a, a pivotal there's yeah. so many nuggets of great information that I'm taking to heart oh, here. And I'm thanks. sure so many people, you know, listening are as well. Uh, as we wrap things up here, we talked about how much it's changed for women in wrestling over the last 20 years. Wrestling in general has changed and evolved so much over the last 20 years. Now yeah. we've got options with wrestling. We've got more wrestling than ever before. 
What's your take on the fact that now we can watch anything we want whenever we want? Oh my gosh. It's great and it's bad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I think it's amazing how many opportunities there are to watch wrestling and how many shows. And it does show that there is a hunger for it because obviously these shows would all be tanking if if there wasn't a call for it. So it's bringing attention that, yeah, this is a legit sport. This is a legit entertainment that people love and they crave and the excitement. And I think the major thing as well that makes it something that people want to be a part of is the fact that they get to be a part of it. What I mean by that is we can watch a movie all day long. It's great, but we are still in our dark rooms watching something that's projected on film, right? Or in the TV. We're still in our rooms watching a TV show. But when you have an arena show, and you get to go to the arena and be a part of it, and even more than NBA or football. In those, the audience is just kind of a blur in the background where you hear them, right? But you don't really, or you see them, you don't really hear them. In wrestling, the fans are part of the show. Oh, yeah. They repeat, you know, some of those lines that are famous that people know. They they bring their signs. They, you know, you see them. They they get focused on the camera catches them, captures them because they're part of it. And even on if you're at home watching it, you you feel more connected than if you're just watching any other TV show. Yeah. So I think that that's the major thing that. Um, people just feel that draw to it because they really are sucked into being part of something. And I think that's more than anything. People want to belong. They don't want to feel alone. They want to belong to something entity. They create a relationship with others. Even through me, I found out, which was such a beautiful thing. I had some fans that would come and they would come often. I kept seeing them and they would reach out to me, um, you know, Twitter, this and that. I saw them then them forming a group because I think there was five or six of them that kept coming to see me. Well, from them coming to see me, they started talking and then they formed a huge friendship among each other. Wow. The common denominator that brought them together was me. Yeah. But then they were able to form a friendship and that's what I've seen from wrestling is that friendships are formed from the love of wrestling. The common denominator is wrestling. Oh, yes. But what has created a bond you know for so many people in the relationships that they've encountered with each other has been this thing and that's what the beautiful beautiful thing of it is i remember walking down the halls of my high school and seeing someone wearing a dx shirt and i'm like hold on you like wrestling too yes and it's like that moment from step brothers like did we just become best friends (laughs) yeah exactly when you find that you just gravitate to that person and immediately there's no longer a wall between you two. Yeah. And I think that's that's the thing that we need to, uh, more than anything, every day, take down those walls between people. I always, when I'm in an elevator and people come on, I always acknowledge them. Mm. Uh, Hi, how are you? That's... How's everybody's morning? Right? Because more, more likely people just walk in an elevator and they're just head down. And, yeah. and, and so now we're not connected at all. It's just individuals that go in and out of this elevator. and But imagine, try it. Be the one to be in the elevator going, how's everybody I'm doing? I'm going to do that now. And I'm, I'm telling you, everyone in the elevator, you just watch it. It's a fun experiment. Everyone lightens up and goes, oh, I'm doing okay. They're like, 
wow, I got acknowledged yeah. and I got invited yes. to be present with someone else. And people are longing for that connection because all we keep doing is being connected to a device that doesn't really fulfill us that way. We need that human connection. Mm. So. Well, I want to be, this is, there's been so much great stuff in here, but I want to be super respectful of your time. Okay. You've got somewhere else that you uh, need to be, but thank you so much for this. Um, where can people find you? All right, so at Chasing Glory on Instagram, at Lillian Garcia, Instagram and Twitter, Lillian Garcia official fan page on Facebook, and of course the YouTube channel. Well, we're gonna link up the YouTube channel below because we're on YouTube right now yes, if you're watching this. So we're trying to build that. That's our newbie, right? So Chasing Glory just recently went into uh, YouTube. I think we were talking about this beforehand, how you've done the reverse, how you yeah. started YouTube, you know, going podcasting. I've always, I've been audio with Chasing Glory for more than 100 episodes, and then when the 100th episode hit, it was like, we gotta evolve, yes. let's do it. <laughs> yeah. So I'll leave that in the description and also in the pinned comment below. So you can subscribe to Lillian's channel. How awesome is Lillian? Oh, right? you guys are great, thank you. So thank you thank so much. You. This was amazing. Thank you. Well, there you go, my friend. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. How awesome is Lillian Garcia? She's great. Uh, thank you for taking the time to listen and share this hour with us and for listening all the way until the end here. Uh, please take a screenshot. Tag me and tag Lillian. Let us know that you listened. Let us know what you thought of this chat, what, what stood out for you. Also, please make sure you are subscribed so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. I, the way that this one came together is... I was in North Carolina for Russell Cade. Uh, it was an autograph signing. I was there and I saw her and I said, you know what? I've always wanted to have her on the show. I have a massive amount of respect for Lillian, Lillian Garcia. So when her line died down, because she had a very long line, everyone loves Lillian. I finally went up, introduced myself and said, hey, I'd love for you to be on my podcast. And I think she must get that like all the time because she was like, yeah, uh, like send me an email and we'll go from there. So I sent her an email. I didn't hear anything for like, six weeks and then finally I got an email back from her people saying oh wow uh, you're in Los Angeles this week let's do it and like boom like that I clicked the snap my fingers there boom like that we made it happen uh, I was in LA doing a bunch of interviews some that you're going to be seeing on the show soon so make sure you're subscribed then I'm off to Atlanta next week to do some interviews with NWA so excited about that then Miami the week after that for some more um, so if you have a great guest that you think should be on the show, let me know. We had 100 videos last year, and it's crazy to think that there is still a few hundred more guests that we could have on the show. Maybe even a few thousand guests. Man, the future's looking bright. What a great time to be a pro wrestling fan. Life is like riding a bicycle. To keep your balance, you must keep moving. Those are the words of Albert Einstein. So keep moving as we head here into 2020, as we head into this week, and keep an eye out for our uh, normal day on Thursday. We got an episode coming out on our regular podcast day. Until then, enjoy your week.